the Podfix Network. My favorite pizza place I've ever been to is Domino's. Time to check show. Welcome everyone to the Gravity Beard Podcast. Recording today in Studio A. Thank you as always to our listeners. We appreciate your continued support. Today, I'm going to introduce you to my friend and fellow podcaster, Josh Hallmark. He's incredibly talented. In addition to his primary show, Our Americana, Josh is about to launch several new projects. Each one is entertaining, creative, and compelling. You'll meet Josh and hear the behind-the-scenes story of how it all came to be. Hope you enjoy. This is the Gravity Beard Podcast. Josh Hallmark, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for being here. Thanks. It's great to be here. Tell us what your show is about. My podcast is about um, small towns and overlooked places in America and the people who live there and the way those people are connected and the stories they have to tell and the way those stories impact, change, or challenge the communities that they're a part of. Very cool. Tell us how this journey got started. About a year and a half ago, my partner and I had kind of reached a peak in our relationship where... um, we were living in Seattle, and he was born and raised there and just couldn't be there anymore. And I had moved around a lot in my 20s and was ready to settle down. So we had basically a three-year argument about whether to stay or to leave. And finally, the compromise was um, we both really wanted to see America. So let's buy a camper van and live out of it and drive around the country for six months. So what did you discover while you were out on the road, and how did it turn into a podcast? You know, we found a lot of really great towns that were really cosmopolitan, really beautiful, had interesting stories. So after being on the months on the road for six months, we ended up in New York and I was really ruminating a lot on the trip and how it changed me and how it really changed the way I looked at America and my place in it. And I really thought it was important to kind of tell some of these small town stories. And that that's how the podcast began. It started with me talking about some of my favorite small towns that we encountered on the trip. And, and I, I interview, you know, four to five people in each town and let them really tell the story because I, I find it offensive when travel writers or travel shows go to a town, spend two days there and decide that they get to narrate what, what it means to be in that town. Um, so for me, it's really just about being the vehicle for other people's voices. You know, most recently, I did an episode about a orphaned orca that showed up to an island town and how over five years that town's community changed drastically because of this orca and they all came together to fight for this orca. And, you know, just, I, I think, um, I think it's, we don't always see the interwovenness and the connectivity that happens in small towns. And so that's, that's kind of been my mission is, is storytelling, but also, talking about community. And I think our country is really divided right now. And I think rather than talking about who's wrong and who's right, we should talk about how we can come together. Tell me about this van that you bought. Oh, gosh, this van. 
So her name is Vantasia, and that um, was not given by us. Initially, we bought a teardrop trailer, and when we spent time in that, we just realized, you know, that's good for weekend trips, but you can't live in a teardrop trailer for six months. So then he started looking, and he found this van in Olympia, which is about an hour south of Seattle, and drove down in... um, I wish I had been there because the story is amazing, but I guess it was these reformed hippies who had lived in the van and kind of did what we were setting out to do. But he got down there and they were really wild. Like they, um, they like cooed to each other, like rather than me saying like, Hey, can you come over here? The guy would be like, and then then his wife would like appear in the garage. Wow. Um, Yeah. And they, they referred to Vantasia by her given name and as female and really talked about her like she was um, a loved one in their lives and ultimately sold her to Andrew because they felt like Andrew's intentions with the van were more pure than some of the other people they had talked to. So tell me, you were on the road for six months, but how much ground did you cover? Oh gosh, we, um, we probably covered too much ground, I think. Yeah, I've talked to a lot of people who are doing what we did, and my advice is just slow down. Um, We, I think, saw 40 states, three Canadian provinces, and then uh, probably close to 70 cities and towns. What is your favorite place that you visited? If you you had to pick one. So I I... If I had to pick one, it's this town in northern Michigan that we just kind of discovered by accident uh, called Petoskey. And it's essentially the like tip top of the lower peninsula. And it's this little lakeside Victorian village. A lot of it is like on cliffs overlooking Lake Michigan. And I had never been to the Great Lakes prior to this trip. And I was really surprised. Um, at least Lake Michigan looks Caribbean. Like you can see the bottom of it and it's just crystal clear and beautiful. And so this Victorian village sits on these cliffs overlooking the lake and it's just the most beautiful place. And I think the population is about 3000, but it's very cosmopolitan because a lot of, it gets a lot of summer tourism. So there's these like amazing restaurants and great shopping and it's probably like the only liberal city and like the top half of michigan people are really kind really friendly everybody knows each other despite the fact that it's a tourist town so it just feels um i don't know to me it felt like paradise because it it really had everything you would get from a city but in this beautiful small town where everybody knows each other which episodes of your of your show are you the most proud of my personal favorite is um, I did a two-part episode that I mentioned previously, Gold River, British Columbia, about the little orphaned whale. And it could just be, you know, I'm a big animal nerd, and I knew that story before the trip. Um, so getting to, I guess, retell that story and getting to talk to some of these people who were so um, such a part of such a huge part of that story was really great. And I just liked the story arc. I think that was when I really made the move from just talking about cute towns to telling stories. So that's that's my favorite. But everyone I've talked to um, really loves the Petoskey episode because they say it really um, kind of transports them to a place and a time. So was it difficult to f- find the right people to talk to for each of these stories? Uh, was it hard to f- find the right people to make the most compelling episode possible that is the hardest part of the podcast it's hard to find compelling people it's hard to find people who either really know what their story is or know how to tell their story in an engaging way so i want to ask you this question if it was up to you would you still be on the road 
Oh yeah, absolutely. I, um, it's funny. We're in Seattle right now after a year of living in New York, finally getting all of our stuff out of storage. And we, you know, our, um, our pod is slightly too small, so we can't fit everything in it. And we've spent the last two days kind of passionately talking about what should stay and what should, um, come with us. And we last night kind of had to laugh at ourselves because we were taking our belongings so seriously. And it was like, gosh, we are so far away from that trip now because that trip really was all about just shedding all these things that don't matter and being out on the road and experiencing life in a new, um, more tangible way. And so I think, you know, to almost be on the verge of like talking sharply at one another about what belongings we could take to New York with us felt kind of like a low blow. So I do. I think being on the road is the best thing I have ever done. Um, and I would do anything to be back on the road now. You know, we talk a lot about like, what can we do and how fast can we do it so we can live that lifestyle again? And I worry that the further we get away from it, the less realistic it'll become. That trip made as a couple us better people, but also individually, it made us better people and it made us a lot more fair in the way we encounter people and judge people and see the world. And, and I, I, I don't think there's a single person in my life I would not urge them to do it regardless of the circumstances i meant to ask this question before but how much did you pay for your van oh i I was not a part of that i think it was 1500 bucks so what what's in the future for for you and your show where where do you want to be a year from now where do you want to be five years from now our americana has kind of evolved and uh now um i mean the podcast is continuing i'm i'm deep in the throes of of producing season three right now but more importantly it's um it's broadening and it's going to become a network. Um, so I have season three of Our Americana coming out on February 28th. But in addition to that, um, in the first half of the year, I have three other new podcasts. Um, one is um, Found Letters Between a Landlord and Two of His, two of his Tenants um, that span over three years in the 80s called The Karen and Ellen Letters. Um, it was a gift to me in the early aughts, and it is the most ridiculous, hilarious uh, anthology of correspondence I have ever come across. It became a cult hit via a blog uh, back in 2012, and that is arriving on March 2nd. And just to give you a quick overview, the letters um, cover, you know, s- typical tricky topics between a landlord and his tenants, like who should pay for an exorcism. And whether a cat painting is fair trade for a stolen vanity. And wait, 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 hang on a second. I believe you just said who should pay for an exorcism. Yeah. <laughs> I've lived in a few apartments. I don't remember that ever coming up. Yeah, so it's a, it's a big topic in these letters. Um, also, um, what to do when your landlord won't file a lawsuit against himself. Um, it's just these two really, really dim, privileged girls out on their own for the first time dealing with kind of a a sassy older landlord and i think there's pretty much 20 letters every month over the course of three years and uh 20 letters a month for for three years yeah (laughs) it it starts off um you know that's a thousand letters yeah (laughs) you get a pretty a a good idea of where it's going from the get-go because one of the tenants karen has a list of things that she plans on deducting from her first month's rent you can go to our-americana.com to learn more about that. Man, I got to tell you, that sounds like a really, really cool project. Can't wait for that to get started. Yeah. And then I'm also working on, um, and I feel a little bit like a sellout, um, but I have to say, I, you know, I grew up in the Bay Area in the early 80s, and that's kind of when um, 
you know, the fascination with serial killers reached its peak. And so I've always been a, a bit of a true crime uh, fanatic, I guess. And uh, so I decided, you know, there there is this really fascinating um, serial killer who was caught a few years back. And so the thing with him is, is we know that he killed about 11 people, but we don't know who those people are because he was so good at doing what he was doing. Um, and so I wanted to kind of explore that, try to figure out if we can, you know, find out who these people were based on um, his MO and his patterns, and then talk to other true crime podcasters and, you know, see where there's overlap and get their opinions. And really just, I, there's this really great podcast community. And within that community, there's a really strong true crime podcast community so i wanted to kind of bring that community together to kind of take a look at this case of america's most meticulous and probably most mysterious serial killer and so that's going to be a serialized podcast that i've been researching for about six months um and that'll come out in late april early may wow that sounds really cool also yeah and then the the fourth project um is i did an episode on morgantown west virginia which is a strangely progressive, um, small mining community in West Virginia. And, and I interviewed a, a trans girl who was uh, 19 at the time and transitioning. And I just, to me, I really enjoyed talking with her because she, um, it wasn't, she told her story in a way that wasn't political, which I think, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge trans advocate and I think it, there's a place for it in politics. And I think that conversation is really important, but I think that that's the only way a lot of people know trans people is politically. And so I, I was really happy to talk to her and, you know, see her break down a lot of stereotypes. She's a girl who shoots guns and was a Republican for a while and goes ATVing and is obsessed with Halloween and haunted houses. And she breaks down a lot of stereotypes. She's really candid about her journey. And she actually approached me and said, you know, I want to, I want to do a podcast. And so I've been working with her to help produce her show for her. And that will be on the network as well. And that should be coming out also in late April, early May. Yeah. That sounds like a really complex project. Yeah. All right. Well, I think it's time for us to transition to our quick hit segment. Let's start here. Josh, I understand you've got a very interesting Thanksgiving tradition. Yes, so I um, I come from a really, really dysfunctional family, um, and not in the way that most people talk about dysfunctional families, but in the way where, like, someone's always trying to kill themselves, or, like, people are throwing plates at each other. Like, it's, it was really ugly in the 80s, and um, as we have grown up, we um, are trying to not, um, we're trying to learn from, from the ugliness of the 80s. So we developed a game um, when I was like 17, which is we would fold up little pieces of paper and put them on everyone's plate and it, they would basically be cues. Um, and so it was to kind of mitigate situations getting ugly. So let's say grandma starts talking about grandpa's mistress. As soon as she does that, um, like you might have a cue that says every time grandma mentions grandpa's mistress, you have to run around the table and then you know, we have an, um, a family member who um, likes a lot of attention, and when they don't get it, they do some dramatic sighing, which generally makes everyone roll their eyes. So another cue might be anytime so-and-so dramatically sighs for no reason at all, you have to stand up and do the Pledge of Allegiance. And so because there will be 10 of these little cues, generally what happens is anytime a situation is about to get intense, someone does something totally ridiculous for no apparent reason at all, and it um, kind of cuts the tension. I, I love that for so many reasons. 
Yeah, and now that you know we um, have either all grown up to be um, more responsible, less dramatic adults, or have cut <laughs> cut ties with the people who haven't been able to do that, it just isn't. It's more fun. It's more like anytime someone says "pass the turkey," you know, sing "God Bless America," and it just it's totally insane and ridiculous, and it really um, kind of fits who our family is, um, but makes what could be ugly really fun. You know, that makes me want to come to your house for Thanksgiving. It's hilarious. Andrew experienced it for the first time uh, two years ago and was floored by it. And he talks about it all the time now. Yeah, I can totally understand. I would do it as well. I've started asking these quick hit questions to several people now, and that's the best answer I've gotten so far. <laughs> uh, what was your first job? Oh, gosh. I um, Actually, it's kind of it's like I've come full circle. Uh, it was at a roadside attraction. I grew up um, in this town called Hollister, which has nothing in common with the brand. It's like a farming community in rural California, and they have um, it's a mile-long fruit stand just outside of town on the convergence of two highways. And... My first job was um, working at the RV Park's kitchen, basically just like slopping slop onto people's plates. Um, and I worked that for three days and then got promoted to, it's called Casa de Fruta. I got promoted to the gas station, which is called Casa de Gas. And I worked there for a few months. And how much did you get paid? Oh, gosh. I mean, I was like 14 at the time, probably like five bucks an hour. It's kind of depressing. Uh, so, did I am I am I correct in hearing that you said that there was five thousand two hundred eighty feet of fruit? Yeah, yeah, that's impressive. Well, and they and over the years they've had to um, you know adapt and evolve. So it's it's not all fruit now. They have um, they have Casa de Wine, which is a wine store that sells wine made in the area and they have Casa de Petting Zoo. Like it's so corny because it just, it feels like Americans trying to speak Spanish when they have no business doing it. Like everything is named Casa de, whether it makes sense or not. Like there's Casa de Motel. And for a while they were thinking of putting like a water slide in. I don't know what happened with that. It's just, it's just the strangest little place. <laughs> Casa de Agua. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's, it's all in Hollister. It's just outside of Hollister. I don't think it's technically in the town, but it's um, like as you leave town, it's like the first destination uh, that you come across. I think you should do an episode on Hollister. I thought about it. I actually, I feel like that's an interesting town to do an episode about. I've um, So when I'm scouting out a town, I generally look for the town's Facebook page just to get a sense of the community. And I realized Hollister had one and it has become an obsession of mine. Um, it's kind of like that friend you had in high school who you have nothing in common with, but you follow them on Facebook. It's like that, but an entire community of it. Um, a lot of bad grammar, a lot of um, just interesting points of view. So I think following this Facebook page <laughs> has really opened my eyes to um, the world, but also my immediate world. Um, like I, my favorite post was someone had said, my favorite pizza place I've ever been to is Domino's and it's such good pizza and they're so polite and they, they, you know, always deliver the pizza. Like they wrote this really impassioned, like four paragraph post on Domino's pizza. And then I had 102 comments and I was like, this is a part of the world that I, I have not been privy to. Even when I grew up there, I, I, you know, was too young to realize it. And it's fascinating. And they just like interesting posts, like, did anyone hear the boom? And then there will be like 45 responses. Um, it's amazing. So as I kind of um, get sucked into this world, like it's a soap opera, I 
I do become more interested in maybe telling the story of Hollister. So I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to take that quote about dominoes out of out of context, and I'm going to make it sound like it's yours. Okay. Thanks for <laughs> that. That's that's how I'm going to open the episode of our conversation is is you raving about Domino's Pizza. <laughs> well, I think I I will give you permission as long as at some point in the episode you um you spoil it and, and <laughs> so people don't want to ruin your reputation yeah as much as i like to pretend i'm not a snob <laughs> well n- no one no one will think you're a snob after that quote is at the beginning of the episode <laughs> <laughs> there's no way they will i think you could both tell that you and i love conversation at least i do i can tell you do also i so, do so we're going to finish up the quick hits and make them truly quick hits are you ready ready what was the first car that you ever owned the only car I've ever owned, it was a 1988 Honda Accord. Any pets growing up? Yeah, um, I had a golden retriever named Mr. Bojangles. Gosh, I feel like I'm giving away all my like password hints. Um, <laughs> 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 and when my parents divorced, he went and lived on a farm, but like actually went and lived on a farm because we would go visit him. And then I had um, a lot of like short-term pets because, again, my parents were both pretty irresponsible, so we... We couldn't be trusted with an animal for more than like a year. <laughs> what other what other memories do you have growing up? Um, I told this story the other day, and I always forget that it exists. And then when I tell it, I'm really disgusted by it. So I feel like it's a good story. Um, my first memory ever is um, the diaper room, which is that I had an 18-year-old mother who knew nothing about raising children and um, grew up pretty privileged. And when she would change my diaper, she was so disgusted that she would just open a door to some, like what I presume was an empty room in our house and chuck the diaper into it. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. That's a good one. Cool. Well then I guess the way we'll wrap up is, um, as much as you're able, give us the name of each project and then tell us where we can find you in, in each one of those. Okay. So our Americana season three, obviously, um, is Seasons two and one are on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Podomatic, anywhere you can get your podcasts. Season three comes out on February 28th. That's good. And then the Karen and Ellen letters. Um, currently, I it's on our-americana.com, which is where you can find out about all the podcasts in the network. Um, and that will be coming out March 2nd. Um, I'm not sure if it's going to make it to iTunes um, because the the girls um kind of scare me and so i don't i've had a few interactions with them and i don't really need them to um come find me so you'll probably you'll definitely be able to hear that podcast on our americanacom um and subsequently karen and ellen.com uh we'll see how public those are going to go thereafter um and then true crime bullshit um which is a direct quote from the serial killer we're exploring um, you can find out about that again at our-americana.com or truecrimebullshit.com. It's not about you with Ari May, which again comes out late April, early, early May, can be found on the network website, but also at arimay.com, and that's A-R-I-M-A-Y.com. And do you have Facebook and Twitter set up for each of these? Yeah, um... Facebook and Twitter are set up for Our Americana, Karen and Ellen, and True Crime Bullshit. Um, we have a Facebook for Ari May. We're still working on Twitter. She kind of has a um, pre-existing following, so we're trying to figure out the best way to um, merge her social media with mine. Cool. Well, that's terrific, man. I am very, very excited for you. Uh, good luck, and please come back and join us in the future just to let us know how things are going. Thanks. I'd be happy to. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for coming by this time. Yep. See you soon. See ya. Well, that's my friend Josh. 
The first two seasons of Our Americana are available now. You can find them all over the internet, wherever you find podcasts. And be sure to check out his new projects when they release soon. I don't think you'll be disappointed. And that concludes another episode of The Interview Show. Follow us on Twitter at TheGBIS. The Interview Show is a proud member of the Podfix Network. To find other great shows consistently creating platinum-level content, go right now to podfixnetwork.com or search at Podfix on Twitter. Special thanks to Phil Rude, that illustrator guy, for our custom logo. This is The Interview Show by Gravity Beard. We'll see you next time.